Welcome, everyone, to the L7C podcast today. We have a very special episode for you all to listen to today. Today, we have a really big panel of guests. First, you know him when he comes and he sells houses, the real estate man, Junior Array. How are you doing today, sir? I'm well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I know you typically only come on when you sell the houses and talk some basketball. Glad to have you on this one. Hey, I appreciate it being on. Thank you. We got the MMA expert with us, Mr. Chuck Marlowe, whose episode just dropped today. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing fantastic, alive and well. We have Mr. Cedric Ware with us today. How are you doing today, sir? Doing well, man. Peace and love, man. And then we got the captain, Byron Mitchell. How are you doing today, man? Oh, we're doing good today. Can't complain. Byron, man, tell us what we're talking. Tell the fans what we're talking about today. Today, we are doing a very special episode for Black History Month. And this was your idea, correct? This was my idea, correct, because last year um, we did not do a Black History Month. And I kind of like regretted it. Like after the month ended, I was like, you know, we are predominantly Black podcast so you gotta do something for <laughs> black history month that's true i agree and we got mostly all of our black guests uh contributors except for one the producer i don't even know if we can call him that anymore but <laughs> <laughs> but besides justin but he is working so i'm just gonna just throw it out there. I think I'm going to throw it to Junior first. Yeah. Like, how are you, what are you feeling it's like being Black in 2022? Oh, man. That's actually a tough question for me to even answer. It's it's tough now. It is definitely tough just because of all that's been going on lately. Now, social media has been a big part of it, seeing all the killings and the Black against uh, the Black and cop uh relationship it's it's tough but i mean i don't let that really phase me in my day-to-day i keep moving forward and uh make the most of each day chuck you are in the military what do you feel like it's being like black in 2022 um well for us at least it's different um we're not a huge majority in the military um at least at my unit i know there's only three other black people in my unit out of like 170 other people so um we're misrepresented a little bit there um so you feel a little bit lonely a little bit like an outcast but you still have that friend group that you can find within there um it's definitely something that i don't let phase me like junior says um i just continue out my day-to-day life because it's people that i still relate to i still can get along with and uh still can progress forward iron what about you man um so where I work, there's only like two other black men on my team. And I know like we have a weekly meeting where we just talk about, you know, what's going on with us, you know, what's how's work week been going, you know, just try to lift each other up. Um, since we are the like the only three other black men on my team. Um, so I like Junior said, it is tough um just being a black man in America. Um like if you get randomly stopped by the police, you don't like know what's gonna happen. Um, so you just try to survive as best as you can and live to see another day. Cedric, how about yourself? 
I mean, everyone's kind of like echoed on the same points. For me, is I mean, I try not to think so much about it just because it's a day-to-day thing. It's one thing that will never change for any of us. I mean, since the day we were brought into this world, it's something that's going to affect us forever. But like Byron said, it's one of those things, especially your conduct in society is always something that you have to think about because there's so many stereotypes out there about being a black male. And like Chuck and Junior said, you got to do your best to kind of let those go in one ear, not the other, and not really affect your conduct so much that you become something that you're not. Well said, well said. Junior brought up the point about the killings that have happened that we're all aware of. And Byron brought up the point about getting stopped by the police. Now, have I'm going to start with you, Byron. Have those killings, like, I would say for me, anytime I drive by a police officer, I have that small jolt that this could be the end. Like, do you do any of you guys ever feel that way because of what's been happening, especially since Trayvon Martin, who would have been 27 last week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I hate driving by cops and I just like hate like walking around somewhere and there's like a cop. Like, are they going to stop me? Are they just going to question me just for walking around somewhere? It's, I get that joke. I get nervous. My heart starts being faster, all that stuff. Junior, you said you feel that way as well. Yeah, just whenever I'm driving by, like driving on the highway or any road, uh, whenever I see a cop next to me or a cop sitting there, I make sure I take everything with caution and just make sure I play it safe and make sure I'm going the speed limit. And ever whenever I drive past it, past a cop, I'm always looking behind me. I'm always, always looking behind me until I can't see them anymore. Chuck, how about you? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, with my speeding record and my ticket history, I get pulled over often. So every time I get pulled over, I'm always worried. I mean, I've been put in the back of the cop car for unexplainable reasons. Um, it happens throughout life. And I just, I don't think it's fair. I don't think that I should have to worry. I don't think that there should always be in the back of my mind, oh, could this be the end? Um, I just think it's something that we shouldn't have to carry forward every day. Cedric, do you echo some of the same things others have said, or do you have a different take? Yeah, I echo some of the things others have said. I mean. Definitely have a different take on most of the stuff because I'm, I'm a prosecutor, so I am considered law enforcement. A lot of my fear is more or less interaction based, where if I do get pulled over, what's that interaction going to be like? Because I mean, just because I'm a prosecutor doesn't mean I'm not black. So, mm. and sometimes for some officers, some people, it's, that doesn't matter. Like, so I definitely experienced the same thing Junior mentions. Like whenever I go by an officer or a trooper, I always am looking in my rear view because, I mean, I don't know what could happen. They could pull me over. I don't know what's going to happen after that. So, oh, that's good. Uh, Chuck, how big of a role do you think the media plays in like how we feel as black men and women out there? Like, do you think they have a big role, small role? What's your opinion on that? Um, media plays a big role nowadays in society. Um, media, everybody catches things on camera. So racism has always been around. A lot of different things have always been around, but it hasn't been caught on camera as much as it has because nowadays everyone has technology. 
everyone has a phone, everyone has something they can record, they have something that they can put up on the internet. So they get caught a lot more in those incidents. And that's what makes things either get taken to another level or it gets taken down to a different level. So depending on what the situation was, who was in the wrong, who was in the right, it can always portray a different image for people. And then that usually becomes a stigma, becomes something that sticks in someone else's head. And then that's what everyone carries with them for and on because that's all they have is that video. So that's something that they keep for their life. Byron, how do you feel about the media and the portrayal of the black male? Do you think it helps, hurts? Like, what do you, is it a big role, small role? I think it, it's a definitely a big role because like Chuck said, everyone has access to phones and video cameras, but like everything's out there um, in the media. And some news outlets are more, I don't want to say this, not necessarily racist, but they portray black men in a different light than some other news outlets portray black men. So I think, you know, some hurt, some help. I think it's just a mixed bag. Um, but definitely it plays a big, big role. Um, social media plays a big role. So with those other news stations, some of them have said the famous shut up and dribble um, mm-hmm. lines. And I want to throw this one to Junior because you were a college basketball athlete in a predominantly white area. Did you feel like it was easier there because you were an athlete and they knew you were good at your craft. Like, do you feel like you would have been treated differently if you were not an athlete in West Virginia? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually a good, that's actually a great question. Um, I definitely feel if I wasn't an athlete and if I wasn't the go-to guy at my school, I would definitely have been treated completely different than uh, if I wasn't an athlete, you know, um, so now, you know, it's crazy. I always think about that whenever, like, on my day-to-day, like, whenever I'm, like, driving or anything, I'm like, like dang, I wonder how I would, people really would treat me if I was in West Virginia and I wasn't the go-to guy, that guy on campus, you know, BMOC. So mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's, it's crazy, but, yeah, it's, it's weird. It's very weird. Yeah, you heard that, the go-to guy. Remember that, Tim Harper, if you ever listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Cedric. Shout out to Cedric and Martin for that, for sure. Since he said there is no, since he said yeah. there is no go-to guy. Um, Cedric, you brought up, like, you are a prosecutor, so technically you are in law enforcement, and technically I am as well in probation. And I don't know if you've experienced this with some of the clients you've worked with, but some of the people I've worked with have told me you're the first black probation officer I've ever had. So now I feel like I get a fair shake at the law. Have you ever experienced something like that before? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I've had, especially down in Columbus, I've had a lot of individuals tell me, even defendants are pro se. It was like, listen, like it's nice to see like someone black like me in your role because there's not that many black attorneys in general let alone as prosecutors and it is it is a humbling thing to hear sometimes because a lot of times being in law enforcement you can't help but feel like oh they're gonna view me as the uncle tom because i mean I work with law enforcement. Most of the people I work with are predominantly white. And ultimately, my goal is to prosecute you for a criminal offense 
that you're alleged to have committed. So there's always that worry, but it always does honestly like make my day kind of when it's like, listen, like I understand you have a job to do, but I just want to say like, I appreciate the fact that there's like another black male here that's like hearing this case or working on this case. So I'm going to say a line that everyone has heard before, I would think. Uh, Everyone on here is an educated um, Black male, so I'm pretty sure we all have heard the term, you sound white. So, Byron, the first, when you hear that, how does that make you feel? I hate when people tell me I talk white or I sound white. Like, I went to... um, I grew up in Toledo. I went to Maumee High School, which is a predominantly white high school. And all I heard throughout high school and middle school, oh, you talk white. You don't sound like a regular black guy. Like, what does me talking educated have to do with the way I speak? I just think that's such a bullshit thing to say to someone. Like, oh, you talk educated, so you sound white. Like, why... It just doesn't make sense that ed- they generate or what's the word compare education with being white. Anyone else want to pitch in on that? I'm sure we have all have heard that saying before. Yeah, I actually uh, want to chip in on that. You know, it's crazy. Like all throughout my life, I've been told, hey, you talk white, you don't talk like that black guy and i'm always answering I'm like okay what is that supposed to mean honestly like i know black people white people are supposed to speak differently i just i, I apologize i got great education i apologize that i speak proper I, I didn't know that was an issue in today's world but i guess it is and even during basketball too when we used to play against like <laughs> some hood teams uh when they hear me talk or they try to talk trash to me they would love this they'll love to say that and i'm just like all right, well, I'm busting your ass, so it doesn't really give a damn, but it's just, it's pathetic. When people say that's just purely pathetic. I apologize. I speak proper. I apologize. I got a proper education. I'm sorry. Chuck, Cedric, anything you want to add from what Byron and Junior said? I mean, a lot of it, again, when your previous thing you're talking about, like the media, a lot of that response I attribute to the way that the media has portrayed Black people in general out there i mean they expect broken english they expect even on like ebonics and all types of different words that may not make up all between like the whole like shalisha rakisha names like apostrophes and all the names and stuff they expect that stuff from us and so every time i've heard that i always have to ask like so let me ask you this. And if I sound, if I don't sound black and I sound white, what is a black person supposed to sound like? And a lot of times, most people say, I don't know, but that's not it. And it's like, well, if you don't know, because I look down, my skin is black. So I don't really get what you're referencing then at that point in time. And most of the time, it's always comes back to stereotypes. Same thing with like, how you act and stuff like that. It's like, if you act proper, polite to people, they kind of feel like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. Like, and so I've had that, like, you act white thing. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what is a, how's a black person supposed to act? Mm-hmm. Like, tell me this. 
And every time it's like an always an awkward first, especially when it's a white person saying it, it's always like an awkward reaction because they're like, uh, and it's like, yeah, you're, you're about to sound racist as fuck. So let's move on. Chuck, you have anything you want to add on to that statement that you've heard before in your life? Um, yeah, kind of piggyback on what uh, Cedric said. So even for like someone like me, uh, my name's Charles, like that's my given name. So usually like when I talk to jobs or I'm talking to other different places, usually um, talking to a lot of different cyber counterparts and stuff, when they hear my name and they hear me answer and talk the phone, they're like, oh, and then they see me in person when they actually come downstairs to do like an interaction or something. And they're like, oh, well, I envisioned something different. It's like, well, what did you envision? Uh, did you just think because my name was Charles, I answered the phone properly. I talked to you cordially and I had a proper enunciation of words. I didn't use slang. Like, did you expect something different? me and that's kind of what i just don't understand why they have to think that everyone that's black is going to talk with some type of slang or they're not going to be professional or they don't know how to hold themselves to a certain standard so chuck i want to stay with that because you brought up jobs and stuff and i've heard this and i've even thought about this myself a couple of times on job applications it tells like if you want to identify what race you are have you ever thought for a second that if you identify as black you won't even get an interview uh, definitely think that that will hold you back in some opportunities. Uh, depends on what place you are. If it's a place that's trying to move forward and actually wants equal opportunity for people, then yeah, you're going to be able to move forward. But it always depends on who's behind that screen and who's behind that hiring process and what's really in their heart genuinely and how they feel about you. Because they might have someone that's a worse candidate who may be of a different race, but they might side with a different race more because they're going to be like, okay, well, this is just what I know. Byron, what do you what do you think of that about applying for jobs when you get to that race part and then you're like, oh, if I put on black, I might not even get a call back. Yeah, I've thought about that um, lots of times before. Sometimes I've thought about just not answering or put like refuse to other. But I'm like, why should I hide my you know race because someone may not hire? But so I always put black or slash African-American because I'm not going to hide who I am for the world so if you want to hire me you're just going to hire me but if you don't that bs because i'm a great worker hard worker great candidate so but i always put market mark that bubble and then for cedric and junior i'm gonna throw a different question at you guys still staying in the workplace thing yeah have you ever felt like you've had to work harder at work though because you're black because we're on such a shorter leash than our white counterparts um, honestly, I just work hard in general. I don't care if I'm black, white, tan, blue, pink, purple, whatever the case may be. I still work. That's just me. I have an insane work ethic. I love working hard. Uh, also, my situation I feel like it's kind of different because um, in my work atmosphere, well, for starters, I, I'm actually the only black accountant at my workforce right now. So, uh, but it's weird though. Um, everyone's really open about that, you know. We like when that uh what's your name, Brian Taylor? Is that the one biggie by you? Uh no 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 Mikhail Bryant Bryant. Yeah, yeah. So when that happened, like we had like a meeting and we talked about like we actually sat there and actually like explained like how did I feel about that? How did they feel just about the whole the Black Lives Matters movement and all that, which was really eye eye opening for me that they really you know, want to understand how I felt as, as an African-American in today's world, which is great. That's why I'm a big fan where I work. Um, but overall, like, I don't care about the me working harder than a white male has to. I just, 
that's me and John. I'm always going to show up every single day, and I'm going to put my bus mask every single time I'm in the office. And obviously, it worked out in my favor because I'm getting promotions, raises, bonuses, uh, you know, a lot of opportunities because I'm working hard. Cedric, how, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like you've ever had to work harder because of being black or the same thing like junior, the work ethic thing? Like, how have you felt before? I never felt like I had to necessarily work harder because I was black as at work, like as an employee, mm-hmm. as an attorney. I mean, I definitely... I would say I definitely would say it's more of a in my area of employment, it's more of a generational thing. Like if you're not following another person in your family is not an attorney, you automatically have to work harder. You have to work harder at getting job interviews. You have to work harder at understanding the law and studying and passing the bar because you don't have someone you can immediately go to and call and say, hey, does this make sense? Or how can you dumb it down for me to understand it? I say I've always been one to one. Like I believe in if I put all I can into something and then at the end of the day, it is what it is. Like all I can do is my best and we can ask much more of that. And so that's how I approach work. Most of the times, if not all the time, I'm, I'm in there. I'm there for a reason I'm there to work, finish what I can and then be done with it. But I never necessarily felt like me being black had an influence on my work ethic per se. And then last enough that's what I pay you back on. It's just like at the end of the day, you can put the race aside. It just comes down to you. You know, it's just you versus you at the end of the day. And that's how I that's that's my mindset's been. And Biggie, me and you always talk about that. At the end of the day, it's like there's gonna be a lot of obstacles and adversity in your what in your uh, in your life. It's just how you're going to respond. That's what comes down to like how is that how are you gonna to respond to what's going on going around going on around you? So at the end of the day, like control what you can control. You can't control other people, you can't control other people, how they're not educated on our our culture, our background, whatever the case may be. It's just it's whatever. That's why I always have tunnel vision. I keep moving forward regardless of any circumstance. That's a good answer. Byron, I know this gets you when Black Lives Matter gets brought up. And you mm-hmm. see what some people write on social media about it. Do you think a lot of people are just misinformed on what it truly means? Like, I know they try and get it like the organization or whatnot, but mm-hmm. I, I know that's a big pet peeve of yours. Yeah. Like during the whole what 2020, when like all the killings were going on, like I posted a lot of stuff on Facebook about Black Lives Matter I'll comment on a lot of other people's status about, you know, Black Lives Matter and like what's going on. I think a lot of people are just misinformed on what Black Lives Matter because they always assume that when you say Black Lives Matter, you're saying that Black lives are more important than all other lives. We're not saying that where lives are more important than anybody else's. We're just saying our lives matter too. And so, like, I've had many of arguments um like when everything was going on about like what black lives matter is and to this day i still have that conversation it seems like a pretty clear-cut answer you just gave like i don't understand what makes you why do you think people don't understand that because america is like so ingrained in like racism that 
people just don't want to like the older generation don't want to move forward like past the racism and so they instill that into the younger generation so then the younger generation you know instills it into their kids and so on and so forth so i think that's the reason why it's so like they're so against it because it's just ingrained throughout the culture of america anyone else have any thoughts on why the black lives matter what it's truly about has been lost or anyone want to add into what byron has said i don't know if i i don't know if i can say like that they're misinformed because i mean black lives matter has come out many a times to state what it stands for and i mean black lives matter has been around for years now like 2021 wasn't the first time that it it surfaced and it's been a part of the movement for years i mean the earliest i can recall is 2014 when things are coming out and it's i don't know i feel as though when the individuals are saying black lives matter versus all lives matter because that was that was the thing that always came up i feel as though a lot of people are you have a mix like you have a mix of people who honestly just want to troll at the fact that there is a black lives matter movement going on and they want to try to cause some type of controversial conversation or controversial atmosphere around essentially an organization that is saying like listen like we want to support the movement and the treatment of black people in this country and i feel like it's not something that's so out of this world that they can't understand that's why i don't know if i can say they're misinformed because it's been around for years i feel as though its influence, I mean, you still like you get the individuals who are hesitant to say, like, oh, it's all good because you had the discussions about the lootings that happened in some of the cities. And then it's like, oh, Black Lives Matter was there. So they had to, the looters had to be with Black Lives Matter. And, but when you have things like the Capitol insurrection that happened and everyone's saying, oh, where those organizations were there, so they all had to be a part of the Capitol insurrection. And it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not everyone there was was a Trump supporter or a Republican or anything like that. And it's like, but you can't, I guess in my mind, you're being a hypocrite when you hyperanalyze one organization's movement and then the individuals that are present at that movement who may not even have ties to that organization are doing things that you find socially unacceptable. But then in the same breath, trying to, I guess, defend some of the actions of others that do something that is truly socially unacceptable. Like, I think as a society, we can, we can see wrong on like two extremes. But I guess my thing is, I, and why I say I don't think they're misguided is it's purposeful when you look at one organization you're like no like this is the reason why i don't want to agree with them but i'm fine with this other organization doing the same horrible things and i think that's why it's, it's like it's not misinformed it's intentional like you have made a decision you're basing your decision on whatever personal feelings you may have towards i guess the background of the organization but i don't know if it's misinformed like i feel like people nowadays know what black lives matter means knows that it's not like oh it's only black people but 
they feel some type of way for their own personal reasons and they need to get past it. So if you wanted to add something, go ahead. Um, no, yeah. Uh, so what I was going to say, um, I think it's a lot of just political propaganda too. That's also, um, misconveying and skewing and changing people's minds. A lot of people are to make, taking a lot of different sites, taking a lot of different information. They force feed other information that's false usually until other people and they buy into it. A lot of, uh, this sounds may, may sound bad, but a lot of uh, supporters sometimes of different people, they're not as smart as others. And a lot of the time, because of what I see on Facebook, some people sit there and post things. I'm like, you can't believe this is real. You can't believe like, like where are you getting your information from? Like these sources aren't viable. They're not viable sources. They have no credibility. And they're just taking this information and running with it and then spreading it out to other people. So then other people are like, oh, well, they said it's true. So this has to be true. So then that's just making the whole Black Lives Matter movement like viewpoint change to other people. And it's not what it really originally is to them. Well said, well said. Let's let's talk about one of Junior's uh, favorite things on planet Earth, money. Um, I sent an article from Forbes and I got to start with the money, man, about black Americans earning 30% less than white Americans. Like, and then black households just having one eighth the wealth of a white household. And one of two of the glaring stats uh, black entrepreneurs, which Junior is, um, on average, they launch their businesses with 35000 in startup capital and loans versus a white entrepreneur who starts off with 107000 So that first one, Junior, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. What, do you, what did you think when you like hear and see like a stat like that? It's bullshit. It's straight bullshit. I mean, because I'm... I don't fit that category at all. I mean, when me and Jake started to do things uh, on our second property, we broke the six figure mark. And then that's not even counting my other businesses I have, like my training business and then my, my uh, W2 job, real estate tax account. Like I'm literally making more than some couples make together. You know what I mean? So I feel like when I hear that shit, hear that status is pure bullshit. I don't really pay much attention to it because I know they're just putting the information just to put the information out there. but. I don't pay attention to it because I know what I bring to it. I know my worth, my worth. And um, I mean, for being an entrepreneur, your uh, compensation package is unlimited. So I'm going to keep moving forward. I don't care about the whole little stuff that you were just talking about, to be honest with you. It doesn't really phase me or nor will affect me, you know? So I would say just a little, because you have a very unique situation. I, I really do, though. So I really do. if you take that unique situation out of like you never met jake you never met the sodden scene you never got like the um coaching you've gotten from your accounting boss you never yeah. went on youtube and started listening to grant cardone yeah. and like all that yeah. you never had stable parents who are financially because i think cedric brought up something with the attorneys that is generational and then if you see yeah. like black americans there's not that much generational wealth but, at all so if you no. take all those things away do you think your situation would be a little different and you're starting oh, from the ground up, no education on it. Oh, I'm fucking struggling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. It must, oh, I'll, no, you're 100% correct. I'll definitely on my ass struggling, trying to find, make, make ends meet. Uh, the good. 
that's crazy you had to put these restrictions on me but uh yeah no it'll be it'll be tough it'll definitely be tough but luckily i'm fortunate i'm blessed that i have the education um i have very high connects in columbus that really helped me out um i know i, I know how to talk um i have a very good personality and um I just know how to gel teams together, which really helped me in the long run. I'm very blessed and fortunate to be in the position I'm in currently. And uh, yeah, shit. You know, you should not have even brought that up, but I'm kind of hurt. <laughs> Damn. I want to throw a difference that I want to start. Hey, off. Biggie, before before we start that, man, shout to Bryce Rhodes. Wow. Hey, Cedric, shout to Bryce Rhodes, bro. <laughs> Uh, that road sucks. I don't, I don't need to get it together. The only I, actually, I gotta take something back. Y'all put a sheets out there. That was the best decision you ever <laughs> did with that road. Shout out to sheets, man. Y'all lowering gas prices everywhere. Oh man. Continue though. I'm sorry. You're good. Um, Byron, what do you think about this one though? That the median black household has a net worth um, of twenty four thousand. When the average, um, that's one eighth of the figure of a white household, which is 188,000. That's their average net worth. What do you think of that? I mean, that's disheartening to hear. Like, but I know most of it is because of generational wealth. And I don't want to say this. I, wanna, I don't want to say white people are more successful because that just sounds wrong. Yes, but white people have higher paying jobs than black people, mm-hmm. so it makes sense why their median household income is more than our median household income. Because sometimes, um, in a black family, you only have like one parent working, um, one to stay at home, you know, with the kids or whatever. And with white households, you know, most of the time they have both parents working you know high paying job so i have a question now for any everyone in here so why is it though that white people have more generation generational wealth than african-americans like why is that is it because they're teaching their kids at a young age and african-american communities not or like, I, I actually want to know because like that's what i'm trying to do with my one you know obviously i'm doing what i'm doing now and make sure i build that with my family and the, and the right uh last name is trying to build generational wealth i know mark john did the same as me so i was just curious i want to hear your guys opinion on why is it like that like why are white families setting their kids up while black families aren't really doing so so one thing for me which i've learned a lot of african-americans don't have which starts like for the generational things is life insurance like that is a big big thing because I mean, the only like death and taxes are the only things that are guaranteed. Well, I guess yep. with the, I guess what Junior brought up, death taxes and Bryce Road being bad are the only guaranteed things in life right now. So you're going to die, and people don't realize funerals and all that stuff can set a whole family back if you don't have any support because you could be taking loans out of that life. So like life insurance when that person pass and if they make it past the sixty five and you get all of that money, that already just you could take when if your parent passes, you get the life insurance money, depending on your situation. You use it to wipe off your loans or your house thing. You're starting with no debt and now you're just building. That's one of the biggest things I have seen that a lot of people do not have life insurance. And then there's another big thing 
with African-American males, especially is that we don't go to the doctor enough. Like that's a whole other thing I want to explain that. Explain that one part. Cause I know we always have this conversation. Talk to me about that. It's just, I don't, it's just, they don't go to the doctor. Obviously the history, which also went with COVID about the vaccine, the experimentation on African-Americans, especially males, has put a lot of distrust in generations that we've talked about. They don't trust doctors, but I mean, from personal thing, we, one of our uncles would have been alive if he would have went to the doctor. So that's just a big thing with like, they don't go. It's just a thing that we have an issue going to the doctor there. And then we also have a issue with one of Byron's biggest things, seeking help, like mental health help. Like those are two big stigmas that growing up, you're like, oh, black men don't have to talk about their feelings. That's a huge, huge one. And like, they're not going to the doctors, getting checked when they should, when that can literally save lives. So those are, that's my thing for anyone else. Any, who wants to anyone chime else, in. anyone else want to chime in on why, why families set their kids up better than African-Americans is because of lack of education. I mean, I know you stated like the figures don't affect you, but I think those figures that Martin talks about are the true realization of the struggle sometimes it is to maintain income and wealth. I mean, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, like most, most black families are honestly mm-hmm. like trying to make sure the lights are on and staying on. It's really hard to sit there and try to teach your kids how it works when you don't know how it works. Like it's very difficult to sit here and say like, Oh, like kid, like your kid has also watched you. So like not only that, but your credibility on how it works is kind of shot. Like, Think about it this way. Like if someone came to you wearing beat up clothes and said, listen, this is how you get rich. Are you going to actually listen to that person? Like, I mean, obviously they may not know how it works because why are they wearing all these beat up clothes, busted up holes and everything at the first sight? You may be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I think a lot of it does deal with education. I mean, and I, I think it's something that a societal thing could remedy. Honestly, I think financial literacy is a big problem with it. I mean, even myself, like I'm a lawyer. I don't have that much financial literacy. Like I know what stuff is. I don't know how all this stuff works. I didn't have no parents or no one to show me how it works. I mean, I'm a first generational college graduate. Like no one else in my family has a college degree. No one else in my family has a law degree. No one else in my family has done mo- like more than a year in college. And so when when I look for like the people and the answers, it's like, sure. Like I could try to ask around and try to figure it out on my own, but with generational wealth, like my goal is literally just to move the yardstick. Cause I know at this point in time, like, I don't think I'm going to, I'm not sitting here trying to be rich. Like my goal is to show the future generation of my family. Like, listen, like just because everyone else works just a regular nine to five hourly job doesn't mean that you have to be restricted in your dreams. Like you can do what you need to do. You can do what you want to do. And I feel like as a society, we like schools could teach financial literacy. But that's another thing though, Cedric, I'm so sorry for putting you off. And me and Martin always go on and on about this. Why are schools teaching us certain things that we don't know? Why don't they teach us how to invest? Why don't they teach us about debt? Why are they not teaching us about leverage? Why are they not teaching about real estate? Like they're not teaching us stuff that we actually need to know so that when it's time to get for us again, the real world will be will be prepared. But they're teaching us freaking A squared plus B squared plus C squared. Like who's really gonna use that? I'm I'm not trying to be a geometry teacher. I, I think it's geometry, right? Or algebra. Yeah, it's algebra. 
whatever the case may be. But that's see, that's my point though. Like, I don't need to know that. I rather understand. I rather know like how to how to run a business efficiently. How to like how to have a business plan. How to go to a bank and ask for a loan a proper way. Like credit, show me how to do credit stuff or invest in real estate stocks, whatever the case may be. They don't really teach us that, and it's and it's sad for our um, our governors and our society, our school system how it works because all they're trying to do is really just pump out good W two workers. They don't really want to pump out you know entrepreneurs or people like that because the government because I feel like the government just doesn't want that because they want to keep pumping out W two workers so then they can keep paying their little taxes and then go on with life but that's just me though it just blows my mind how it's like that uh before we keep I, mean, with that, I, ahead, I think it's like a lot of a lot of the baseline education things are things that have been like set for years and i i know like anytime people look at like education reform there's always like a question well there's still some things that historically we need to know and i'm with you like i don't, I don't think the pythagorean theorem is something that we really need to know like i don't see me using that in my life to figure out goals. And if it's something that I could easily apply, I know Mitch is out there somewhere like, oh, I'll show you these like 10 different ways you can use all of these mathematic equations. But if it's not popping in my head instantly, then obviously it's not something that is realistically applicable to life. Like yeah. a lot of more stuff. Like I really like, I wish I knew, I know my school tried to do it for like one time, tried to do taxes. I remember going home and my mom was like, why are they making you learn how to do taxes? Like the hell this is like you're seventh grade. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know, mom, but they brought this person to try to teach us how to do taxes. And I don't know what the fuck a W2 is. <laughs> and, and of course, like at times I, I, I feel as though like we're, we are just, like you said, farming out another generation after generation of individuals who are not necessarily, I wouldn't say, W2 workers, but I think people who can be easily taken advantage of because the individuals who have the resources to gain the knowledge knows how the system works. Mm -hmm. The one thing you can definitely do is if you can't make the money, what's easier is if the money is made for you. And like you said, I guess in that breath, like with W2 workers, like if I know that there's a task that can pay out worth five people, five man, five person manpower, but I'm getting paid four person manpower, I can split the other four with that one person, then of course I'm going to continue striving, thriving and making money. Like it's, it's easy at that point. And why would I, and I guess in my mind, like if I'm the rich, like why would I not take advantage of my opportunities? Like, why would I not try that? And I guess that's my thing with like, with what, with the whole income disparity between households is generational wealth is always built. It's always going to be a hurdle because as a generation, like we won't, we won't ever see until the close of our generations if the gap has closed in any bit. But of course, like I'm not going to sit here and expect like Donald Trump, who started his business up from a starter fund from his father, to sit there and not take that money and not do that. Like he's going to do that. Like they're going to do that. That's kind of what it is in their mindsets. Like it's it's kind of ingrained in them. Like listen, like you better make this money because you're going to have kids and you want to make sure that they can succeed and that they can do whatever they want to do. So it's sad, but it's one of those things. Byron, Chuck, anything you guys want to talk about first? Like the first question about like why you think the generational wealth is what it is. And then the stuff that was just talked about with like uh, financial literacy and all that stuff. I definitely agree that we aren't taught financial literacy because I know my mom didn't teach us that stuff. Like when we were growing up, or like how to do taxes or like 
opening up a savings account. I think one of the main reasons too is that like most black Americans don't have a savings account. Like yes. I didn't start my savings account until I got my current job, which was in 2013. So I, from the time I was born until when I was what 23, I didn't have a savings account. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons like we're not taught how to save because most of us, our parents have been leaving paycheck to paycheck. So like mm-hmm. once they get a paycheck, it all goes to bills. There's like no extra to go into a savings account to help build that generational wealth. So I think like a couple main reasons like financial literacy and then just not having a savings account is like one, two of the main reasons for that disparity between households. Chuck? Um, I think a big thing for the generational wealth really is it's pride in the black household. Um, a lot of people, they can't own up. They can't say, Hey, I need help. Hey, I need, I'm struggling. I need this, that, or the other. Um, I watch my mom live paycheck to paycheck. My grandma has millions saved up. My grandma knew how to manage her money, but she still wouldn't ask her for help because it was just a pride thing for her. Um, a lot of people don't understand how to put that pride to the side and ask for that help. A lot of the time, in a white household that money's like they're like they are giving it up they're like more than happy to they're able to just hand it out they're like hey look do you need help we'll reach out they ask but a lot of the time in the black household is just they expect you to go out there and just go do it yourself and just figure out the game plan because a lot of the time it's just hey you're 18 time for you to get out of the house get a job go do something go to school or you know and at least for you guys i know all all of you guys have a college degree I'm the only one in here without a college degree. So looking at these things and seeing this like wage gap and just seeing how everything is just so poorly represented because even someone like me, I didn't go to school. I didn't want to get an education, but I figured out, hey, there's another outlet. There's another avenue. There's other different things to get jobs and stuff. And a lot of other black people, they don't know this. They don't know, hey, you don't have to go out there. You can go to a trade school. You can get certifications. You get a lot of different things that can hold the same weight as a degree. And these jobs will pay you six figures still, but a lot of people don't reach out. They don't try and figure out those other outlets and avenues because they have too much pride to go out and ask for that help that they need to get to where they need to be. And a lot of the time is you need to do a lot of networking. They don't want to have those conversations. They don't want to talk to people because they're too prideful. They just need to go out and reach out to those resources that they have. A lot of impatience. Like everyone wants to get rich quick mindset. Mm -hmm. No one wants to like do the grinding now for it. Okay. So, hey, so Biggie knows my unpopular opinion, and I want to hear because after triple oh, saying the whole net, the whole net, <laughs> the whole networking type of situation. So, I'm a big fan of Robert Kiyosaki. He's the rich dad, poor dad uh, author, and he said something that me and Martin always, always go back and forth and debate on. Is he said you're poor because you want to be poor? How do you guys feel about that? Yeah. I know what I'm going to say, so anyone else could go. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, I want you last. Because honestly, after what Chuck's saying, like, you can network, you have resources. So in my situation, I 100% agree with that because if you really want to get out of that situation, you could do it. It's just, are you willing to do what you have to do to get out of that situation? That's just me personally. I feel that way. Maybe, I, maybe I'm thinking of that because of how I, I was brought up in my current situation, who knows? And because my situation again is very, very unique situation, how I made my money. But um, I don't know. I just want to hear you guys' opinions on it. I, really I mean, I'm a case by case scenario. 
it's you really case by case. The case by case scenario. Okay, much. so give me so, so let's, your so let's, talk, let's talk about scenario then. Give me a scenario. Your situation is different from someone else's, and then my situation is different from someone else's. We were raised in middle class, nice neighborhood. Yeah. We were able to actually go to good schools and we were able to yeah. network with people and build friendships and build things with people that have higher connections. But when you think about the lower income schools, people who yeah. are in the hood and the ghetto, Section 8 housing and stuff like that, they don't have that. They don't have those outlets sometimes. Sometimes they don't have those connections that they need. Sometimes they do. But it's just, it depends okay, on now, like. Okay, now question though. So you said they don't have those type of connections. So then you're telling right now, like, they can't go work at McDonald's or a Circle K. And then they say, and then listen, though, well, listen, though, and then how about, I mean, I assume everyone has a phone or has a laptop. So why can't they not go onto the internet and look up saying, like, how to, you know, manage my money or how to budget my money or, you know, stuff like that. So that's what I'm just confused about, like, if you someone really wanted to change, they'll actually put the time and effort to actually do that. And I agree with you. I think it's pride. It's just some people don't have the same worth. As, some people don't have the same work as they got at the end of the day. Some people don't have the same mindset. And some people don't know how to go out there and actually go do it. I mean, some people really just hold their hold, they hold themselves back. Correct. And that's what I'm saying. It's because you're poor because you want to be poor. That's because you do not want to go out and do the things you need to do to get to that next level. Iron Cedric, do you guys have anything you want to say? Like, I, I, see I, actually wanna, I actually, actually want to like hear what you guys thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear what you're saying. I feel as though to kind of, and I'll just use Chuck's scenario and your scenario because I mean, why not? Why reinvent the wheel? Honestly, yeah, since we're rolling yeah, with that. Yeah. I think a lot of it is also not just pride, but your like Chuck was starting to say like your resources. I mean, you can start to learn how to manage your money, but if you're not actually making the money to manage, then what the hell are you managing? Like if you're not actually practicing saving properly and you're not making enough money to actively save and you're trying, like, especially if you're a single parent, like once you have kids, it's it, like, and you don't have like an actual job. It's, it's a rat race. As I say, it's fucking a wrap. Like, honestly, yeah. like all your money goes to that child because you have to take care of that child. You have to provide for that child. I mean, yeah. I know government assistance is a thing, but again, I know people who fucking try to scheme the system for that. But it yep. still doesn't help them because you have to maintain a certain income level to get that assistance. So it's it's a choice you have to make. And normally the people making those choices won't really show a different way. And if you don't know, if you actively weren't shown a different way, the immediate, like Chuck said, was a pride. The immediate, the immediate time when someone tries to confront you and show you a different way, you're going to be hesitant to see it. And if you don't know where to look for the information, because you can... Like we can sit here, we can all Google how to save money. And I guarantee you, we'll find thousands and thousands and hundreds and thousands of links. And you know, probably more so, and Martin knows probably more so than I do. There's a lot of individuals who preach financial literacy, who may, it may work for them, but may not work for others. And you could get caught up following someone who honestly doesn't know what your plan is. And it's a personal decision that you have to make. Like you're managing your money, you're budgeting your money. If you try to adopt some of these practices, because I've seen people who try to adopt, what is it, Dave Ramsey? And sometimes some people it works, some people it does not work whatsoever. And of course, those individuals are like, listen, like I made the plan for the people who know what the plan, like what, what my plan is supposed to do for them. And I think when, especially when you're learning new information, you could be easily influenced. You could be easily taken advantage of. You could be because you're ignorant already. 
So when you hear that type of information, you don't know where to split the truth from or what helps you and what doesn't help you. It's actually disadvantageous for your well-being. It makes it much more difficult. I know individuals I went, I was in the neighborhood with who are trying to run their own business, trying to be an entrepreneur. I saw the dude try to buy like a vending machine and start his own vending machine company. Two months later, he's selling a vending machine because he doesn't know how to market it properly. And I'm like, well, I mean, I'm seeing that. I'm like, that was a venture you spent all that money on and you're trying to make your money back. So that way it doesn't take a big L and you're trying to move on to the next idea. But at the same time, if you don't know how to work it and you don't know where your avenues are and it's really hard to start to dig those and start those out because you like, no matter where you start, like whether you start off in a good situation, you still have to dig those avenues. Like you could be, you can come from a wealthy family and do absolutely nothing with your life and become poor when your parents pass away and there's no trust money left for you. And it all dries up. You're fucked. But you could also work your way up from the bottom of the, (laughs) by the boost of your, like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it. But I always feel like, the resources are there and the advantages are there in the system and understanding. Because, I mean, the one thing like we were talking about with generational wealth, your family members who have brought themselves and started their business can kind of tell you, hey, that idea that that person's talking about doesn't work. Yeah. Or this method for this person for what you're trying to do isn't work. It isn't lucrative. Yeah. Like yeah. you have, and especially when you start to get those right networks and going, they're going to tell you like, hey, I know you've been reading a book that's interesting. You talk about it, but hey, listen, let me put you onto this. Yeah. Like, it's a little different. It's like with me, like shit. I wanted to be an attorney since I was 14. Yeah. Ask me when I met the first attorney I've ever knew. When? When I went to law school. Okay. That's, a, that's a, almost a 10 year difference. Yeah. Almost. Like, like I met a judge before, but at the time when I met the when I met Judge Green down in common, like down in the municipal court, I was a freshman in undergrad. I honestly did not understand. Because I wanted to be a judge, but I didn't want to be a, an attorney. And I did not understand when he told me that, listen, man, you got to be an attorney first. Like, you have to want to be an attorney first before you can be a judge. And I, I, I literally did not understand that throughout my three remaining years at Capitol until I got to law school. And it's like the grind. Like, like it's like one of those things, like, you have to want to be an attorney because you have to be an attorney to become a judge. And if you don't want to be an attorney, then what the fuck are you doing these three years for? Yeah. What are you spending all this money for? Absolutely. So, I agree. I agree. And I that's why I realized, like, listen, you got to want that. I understand. I, I mean, that, that's a valid point. That's a very valid point. Go ahead, Byron. If you want I, anything to add, I know you disagree with Junior Singh, so just say why you disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I disagree with that because. <laughs> please, please. Come from. I, so my background, my mom lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, and this all goes back to like generational wealth and stuff. Like there are resources and like there's programs out there. But I think we're in that mindset of, you know, I got bills to pay. I got to feed my kids because I grew up in a single parent household yeah. um, as well. So she, she it's not like that she wanted to be poor, but she didn't have the money to like i said opening up a savings account and feed the family and pay all these bills so it's not like that she wanted to be poor it's just that she didn't have the resources that are afforded to um like the a rich community or like white people like and some goes back to like inner city schools like they don't have those like after school programs um for kids to like oh you know come and do 
work in the computer lab and you know get education on how to build computers and all that stuff but like yeah. so like i think it stems from like education like most inner city schools don't have after school programs because most inner city schools don't get the funding like that other schools do um so i think it just starts from there and then just like builds up over time so like you're just about to i need to get money to pay bills i need to get money to feed my family like some kids work after school work after school to help their mom you know feed their brothers and sisters and you know help pay bills so i think because we don't have like the resources that other communities do i think that's why like we end up like where we are and i'm not i don't think we're we want to be poor i just think we don't have like the resources like other communities do okay all right well i think my biggest thing with robert's book which i actually do like the book and which we've talked about a lot on here is the connection thing robert got lucky because his friend's dad was rich like let's just that's he saw his dad slaving away and then you see this guy rich as can be not everyone's gonna have that like it's a those are one of those things like when you see people like Robert or even Jeff Bilton, those obviously he had to work hard, richest person in the world, but his parents gave him a thirty thousand to three hundred thousand dollar loan to start his business. Most African American normal families cannot give that to their child. Like that's just facts. So so then you see too with Cedric, we were just talking about this a couple of days ago. If a black person walks in and they have money. People automatically assume he's a rapper, sports player, or he sells drugs. Those are the three mm-hmm. things that always get brought up when an African American, especially a male, an African American male has money. Those three things. They never think like, oh, he's a lawyer or he's an accountant or he does this or that. They always think you play a sport, you sell drugs, or you're a rapper. And that's what we talked about at the beginning with the media has portrayed that that's the only way African American males are rich which is nonsense. But I, I think with Robert's stuff, sure, I don't, I, I think people need to think with the poor thing. Most people, most people are not going to get rich. Like that's just, it's not going to happen. But being able to live comfortably where you're not paying paycheck to paycheck for all your bills yeah. that you can pay, you could have money left over. If an emergency happens, you're good. That's the yeah. ideal thing that most African-American families are trying to get to. But it's hard because if you don't have the education, you can't get these higher paying jobs. And now, obviously, McDonald's and all this stuff is rising like price wise because of COVID. But shoot, just 10 plus years ago, I was working at Kroger for seven dollars. There were Man. grown there were grown African-American women. That seven dollars was going to have to feed her and her three kids. And that mm-hmm. is not feasible. So even with the only parent on here, Chuck, if something happened to Chuck, like Chuck ain't going to worry about savings. If his, if something happens to his daughter and that's where all the money's going, that's where it's going. No questions asked. So it's like whatever your situation is. And then you can talk about the things where we have a lot of African-American families who sometimes they have kids way too young and then yes, or they don't stay or issue. they don't stay together. And you have that situation where obviously some can make it out, like with families um, helping them. But from my experience at Children's Services, the white families help a lot more than the black families and the people who like have kids at like 19, 18, 
they help a lot more than like the black folks like oh well you messed up you're out of here that's just from the work that i did at children's services so there's a lot of different i think what robert's saying it's on variables like you have to count the variables yeah that you have like all these people robert grant i mean they all had all their parents were not poor so i think it'd be more a success thing if you saw an african-american make it out like that who wasn't one of those three main things that we talked about or something like that with a like if byron became wealthy that'd be a more thing that would resonate with the culture because he just said single mom she was working her tail off to feed not just byron the other siblings and then Mm -hmm. byron found a way to help his mom out in the end and then be able to live his life the way he wants to live with money in the bank. I think that more resonates with the culture than us just saying, Oh, another white guy just wrote a book about how to be rich and has no idea what it's like to be an African-American. Yeah. It's all about those different things. There's just a couple other things I just want to bring up uh, before we do close. Uh, We politics. Um, it always feels like the African-Americans have to um, vote a certain way or our democracy is at stake. But these past couple of years, we get told that every election, this is the fate of democracy. We need the African-American vote. But you don't really see anything get done for the African-Americans, for the people that they vote for. Uh, Byron, how do you feel about that? Like you said, yeah, I, we grow up saying, oh, this is the way you have to vote. Um, I'll just say, I, I mean, I'm a Democrat. I vote Democrat every election because through the media, I've seen that, you know, Republicans are racist, Republicans are this and so on and so forth. Not saying that all Republicans are racist. I'm just saying that's how the media portrayed it. And that's how I, you know been taught that you know republicans are racist they don't care about black people and all that um but it's very disheartening to vote for you know your leader of the country you know they promise all these things oh yeah we're gonna do this for you we're gonna do that for you and then when they get elected they don't do any of those things so it's just like broken promises on top of broken promises on top of broken promises it's 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 terrible i love for one day for an elected official to go in there and actually do what they say they're going to do for the community. Anyone else have anything they want to add on that? I don't give a damn about politics. <laughs> Chuck, Cedric? Chuck, um, you're allowed to talk about politics. I got to be careful. I know you, I know you unmuted yourself. Yeah. So I, want to make sure <laughs> go. Like, I can't talk about who's currently at president. That's really what I can't speak on okay um but basically me i'm independent um i vote basically whoever has the best views for my views um and i think growing up my mom just pretty much taught me i think because i in the household that i grew up in um the way she was raised it was to just whoever helps you out in the long run and whoever has the best viewpoint i mean politicians they're supposed to lie they're supposed to lie that's what their job is to do they need to get their votes. They need to win. They need to be in the office by any means necessary. So they can have a bunch of empty promises. It's what people don't understand about that a lot of the time, especially in the Black community, because we're not taught about politics a lot of the time in the Black community. We're not spoken to about those different things. I didn't learn about that until I was older, and I just kind of had to figure that out for myself. 
Um, I think a big thing going into politics with Republican Party, a lot of the time people see it as, oh, they're racist, this, that, the other. I mean, there's different things that go into it hand in hand with different candidates every year. And there's different things that happen. So I can understand why people have those viewpoints. But at the same time, you also need to look at what's deeper than that and see what their policies are going to be, what they're going to actually try and do. And um, when they get in office, then see if they hold up their end of the bargain. Cedric, do you want to add anything? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, you, I've mentioned this multiple times. You've known to like, like politics is a game. There's a game. It's a game. Like it's, it's about, like Chuck said, presenting an idea that is popular enough to get you to support me, to get me to where I need to go. And unfortunately, historically, there's always not just in the black community, but there's always a group of people who feel as though this is not, this is not what this individual promised. I mean, we catch ourselves saying that almost every time you can look at almost any politician and you can find certain things that was a part of their platform when they were running that could not get accomplished. And all the time, it's always a question of a why didn't this work? Why didn't this work? Presidentially, it's a lot easier to skew just because it's bigger. Like the news and media, what's going on there day to day and what's happening day to day, you kind of see that. But for the longest time, it used to be like, oh, the president really wanted to do this, but Congress. And I believe it was like Obama's last administration and I believe right now we like the Democrats hold Congress and the president. So like you literally like understanding what basic things I understand about <laughs> the legal departments and how a bill can get passed and how laws are made, you could kind of do what you want right now for the at least until these next elections come up. You can kind of pass what you need to pass right now. And I guess in my mind, it's always a question of what are you putting priority-wise on? And what what type of things can you put on the back burner? And a lot of things that we as a community, especially with Black people, we are, we are, we are always asked for the vote because like, no matter Republican, Democrat, and whoever, they understand a simple thing. There are numbers. Like, mm-hmm. There are numbers there. We need the numbers. Like, because without these numbers, we lose. And so it's in their minds, they know what, like, they know what verse is saying. They know what song they're saying to get people to come and vote for them and get them to the polls. Like, they know what it is. It's been the same song and fucking dance for the past 40 years. Like, it doesn't really change. It's like, we want to help you help yourself. We want to help you promote yourselves. We want to make sure that your rights and liberties are protected. Those are the simplest things that, as a black community hears, it's like, oh, that's this president cares. This guy actually gives a damn about us. Like, and you'll go and catch your vote and then be shocked. Like, well, they're not really like addressing any of our concerns. They aren't really fixing our schools. They aren't really fixing our roads. They aren't really fixing our communities. And at the end of the day, it's like, I was like, well, you know, we had so many other things that kind of just took priority for us. But hey, we'll see you in four years. Like, it's a game. It's about promising as much as you can and skating by on the lowest expectations that you can and what you actually present and being able to keep that momentum going until the next election because that's all it is really like 
for some of them, to, especially because most of the politicians we see in positions of power are career politicians. Mm-hmm. And the only way they make money is by staying elected. And if they don't get elected, what do you think they're going to do? No you money. think they're going to work regular jobs? <laughs> most of them are lawyers. Half of them don't even practice law. So what the hell are you going to do? Do you like no offense to Joe Biden, but do you think I want as if I was a criminal defendant to have Joey B representing me? <laughs> no. No, and this man probably hasn't practiced law for 60 years. No, no. Like, so at the end of the day, for them, it's like, hey, this is their livelihood. They'll say what they gotta say, like Chuck said, they'll say what they gotta say to get elected. They'll promise what they gotta promise to get elected. They, that doesn't mean they have to follow through on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, the biggest thing, and you know, we talk about this all the time, Martin Byron and our group has the student loan thing. Mm-hmm. Like that used to be such a small platform. If you think about like two election seasons ago, like in 2016 and 2008, like no one was talking about forgiving student loans. No one was talking about forgiving student loan debt. When the public student loan service program came out, everyone was like, that's transformative. Like that is amazing. Like I can't believe that's an actual thing. But no one's like, when now we're talking about this, just forgiving student loan debt in general, everyone like see, like generationally, not just in the black community, but everyone generationally is wants to vote. Like, yeah, like that guy's gonna take care of my student loans. Yeah, for sure, he has my vote. And then, as we see, like legislation has been put to delay it, but that doesn't do anything. Like, that's just still there. Like, the government gonna collect right. when the time is right. And it's one of those things where it's like we, I guess, in my mind, I, I, I mean, I, I just came to a point where it's like, listen, man, like that was a great political move, like because mm-hmm. it's part of the game, like. Great political moves. You 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 can see them happening because it's like that got a lot of people motivated and talking about it to make it a platform because you know it's going to be a platform for the next two elections, bare minimum. Especially if all even if you forgive a fraction of it, because the next person is going to say, you know what, we like our party can forgive a fraction of it, reelect us, we'll forgive all of it. Yeah. And of course, you're going to motivate the masses because they're going to be like, hey, they gave me a little bit, they gave me a little taste, so of course I want to rock with them, like. It's a game. It's about I said, it's about promising as much as you can and selling as little as you can just to weather the storm until the next election. So I want to leave this question for everyone before we uh, sign off. Last question, then we'll do our closing stuff. What what where do you want to see the community five years from now with either yourself or just your families? Like, what do you want to see for the black community in five years? Uh, <clears throat> uh, I guess I'll go first. Uh, for myself and like the fam- my family, I don't, I don't have kids or whatever, but just uh, for I guess I'll just talk about myself, but uh, I definitely want to set myself up, lay my foundation down to make sure uh, when I do have kids and when I do actually settle down, who knows, that'll be <laughs> that uh, <laughs> chill, Byron, chill, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, honestly, no jokes aside, though, I was make sure everything's set for my kids you know, set in stone. And then obviously once I have kids, once they start to be able to like learn and shit, I'm going to show them like, Hey, this is what, this is what your dad did right here to make a lot of money. And I'm going to walk them through like, this is what you got to learn. If you really want to be successful in life. Cause also you right off the bat, you're not, uh, <clears throat> right off the bat, you're going to, it's going to be tough for you just because you, you're black. You know what I mean? So, uh, I definitely want to set my family up, set myself up for the future big time so in this five years i'm definitely grind as much as i can buy as many assets as i can life insurance uh just keep educating myself and um keep building businesses that i'm working on right now in the process of and uh, just go from there honestly one day at a time 
Um, for me, really, um, just having a family, being in a being an interracial couple, um, that's a big thing right now still in this year, as you can definitely attest for Biggie. Um, there's, I just want to set myself up, set her up, set up my daughter, and make sure that we're good. Um, really, that's what my plan is moving forward. Um, have that foundation set in stone for her because she's a, my daughter's going to be a double minority growing up. She's a woman. She's black. She has two things that are already going to go against for her um, when she goes into the world. So really just trying to set her up with a good foundation, having a trust fund, having savings, having different things set up in line, building her credit, building a bunch of different things for her. So that way she has that out avenue and outlet and those resources that we talked about when the time comes, when she reaches 18, to be able to do those things. That way she's not set behind. That way she's not starting from the back. She's starting maybe ahead of others. Maybe she has some different things that other people don't have. Cedric? Honestly, I, I, like I said, I, I personally, my life, I set the bar low. I just want to be alive, well, honestly, in five years, still practicing law. I mean, I, I would love to be doing more, of course, but as long as I still get the sense that I am helping my community and my, and my family, as an example that you can do what you want to do. You don't have to necessarily settle. I'll be happy regardless. I mean, starting a family would be amazing. I don't really, I don't have like the urge like, Oh yes, I need to start a family. Cause I go and lie. Chucky brave. I ain't paying all them bills. I seen what those doctor bills look like. I under, I've, I've talked to those people who have to pay all that shit, man. That's, that's a lot. Diapers are expensive as hell. I understand that. Military too. Insurance. So, Military insurance. Yeah. See, I ain't got, uh, uh, like if prescriptions I, four dollars. <laughs> See, I got that Whoa. governmental stuff. I ain't trying to listen. I trying to change my governmental insurance plan. I like what my check looks like when that shit gets taken out. The last thing I need is just have another like another mouth to feel like that'd be too much anxiety and pressure. Ain't gonna lie. hundred percent. Like I lose man. I feel some I honestly I I know for a fact I feel some type of way. Like I looked at the little kid like, I love you, but damn. You take all my money. <laughs> like, damn, I missed <laughs> I miss being able to just spend one time lavishly, just that one good time. It's like I got I can't do that no more. I'm be living that Patrick Carlson life, man, eating the ramen noodles, trying to save oh, and stack Jesus. up. Jesus. <laughs> all right, that's my that's my cue to get off. Byron. <laughs> um, I just echo what everyone else said. I just want to, you know. Build up my savings for emergencies, you know, in case I, I do have a family in the next five years. Who knows, you know, where I'll be in my career. So I just want to make sure, you know, that, you know, if I do lose my job, I'll have something to fall back on for a couple of months till, you know, I get back on my feet. So I just want to build up my savings, you know, hopefully move up, you know, in my career, at my job, you know, or get a new job that pays more. So just in the next five years, I just want to build that wealth up. Um, just be a, you know, a good example for everyone in my family. You know, learn more about financial president. I'm not running for president. Um, more just like credit card financial literacy, just like you know, savings financial literacy, and you know, build myself up for the future. I think the biggest thing for, uh, from the world perspective, I would like in five years for people to actually embrace the saying, like you can embrace. Black culture, you adopt it, whatever, but you actually care about Black people because that's mm -hmm. a huge 
thing. Obviously, white people, they're rapping. I mean, they're listening to rappers. They love sports. But then once something actually happens to that individual because they're black, they don't care. So mm-hmm. that's something that I would like in the future that, hey, if you you love the culture, but you don't love the people, I would love for that to actually change. Um, and then from a personal thing, like everyone else has said, uh, save, um, be in a better place financially than I am now, five years from now, and continue to be able to do this podcast so that we can shed light on these type of issues and have conversations like this. This is probably one of the more deeper podcasts we've had in a bit. So mm-hmm. because I'd ask another thing, a lot of black, normal black people as ourselves don't have a voice. And like mm-hmm. with this podcast, we're able to have a voice as small as it may be, even though it's an internationally known listen to podcast. So those are just small things I would um, want to see in five years. And I just want to thank everyone for being on this episode. It was very informative, very deep. I hope you listeners, uh, if you have questions, like write them in the comments if you're listening to on YouTube when this comes out or on Spotify, um, holler at us, let us know your experiences, and hopefully we want to make this an annual thing. With that being said, this is the L7C Podcast signing out. Thank you for listening to this episode of the L7C Podcast. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to the channel. Follow us on all social media platforms, and we'll be talking to you guys soon. Take care.